Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. Tonight's films are the spawn of Ninja Turtles. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am not the Vindicator, the whatever the shit that starts with a V. I am Adam, the violated by the character of Violator Thomas. And I am your totally radical other host, Thomas Mariani. Wow! And we've got a super bodacious guest with us today on the Double-Edged Double Bill. It is Mr. Tori DePina returning once again. Tori, how's it going? I'm just feeling totally tubular, man. Is that is that how it works? Yeah, you no, guys... you sound like a, like a high on. Oh, excuse me. Hold on. <laughs> Radical, dude. I sound t- do I sound tubular yet? Oh, I can't even say it right. God damn. It's because you're high. Yeah, <laughs> apparently so. Yeah. You all can't see, but we're all dressed up in overalls and have neon backwards baseball caps, and we look like a extras in a Will Smith video from like 1990. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's pretty great. Except my overalls are cutoffs. We're some natural cool cats. Today on the Double Edge Double Bill, um, in honor of the month of April, has a lot of different comic book movies coming out. Um, we've got the week that this is releasing, Shazam's coming out, but we've already done DC comic movies. And later this month, we got Avengers Endgame coming out, but we've already done Marvel movies. Uh, so we decided, uh, since also Hellboy is going to be a thing, that comes and we've out. already done shitty movies. <laughs> we that, that's part of the gimmick, Adam. But we decided since like Hellboy's coming out and there's some other ones that aren't those two main companies coming out. Um, we decided to do specifically non DC or Marvel adaptations, and we've got two of them tonight. Um, we picked randomly at the end of our last episode the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then the 1997 adaptation of Spawn, which are it's Mirage, right? Mirage is the original company for Ninja Turtles. Yeah, no, I think it was originally Mirage, but I think it went to Dark Horse. Well, yeah, the, the Ninja Turtles have gone through a bunch of different, like, IDW, I think, does it now. It's been a bunch of different companies. But regardless, um, Tori, we invited you back on the show. This is the first time since the Halloween episode we did back in October. And uh, why this particular topic? What what tickled your fancy about it? It just seemed like something refreshing, because it seems like this whole present-day landscape, it's obviously just ruled by two powerful companies. Um, you know, we got Marvel, we got DC, and... You know, it kind of felt good to go to a simpler time where, you know, we weren't boggled down by universes. We didn't know what to expect. And, you know, you had some good, you had some bad with uh, the two films we're talking about tonight, obviously. For sure, yeah, because we're covering two movies from one's from the very early 90s and one is from 1997. So you kind of get the exact opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of like the age that basically Batman created in terms of comic book adaptations. You, You know, it's one's flawed and the other is... Uh, 
Yeah, we're, we'll, we're, yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that. Put a pin in that. We'll get we'll get into <laughs> exactly. all of that. But I know uh, Adam, you're more of a comic book person necessarily. I am. I mean, what would you say mm. is like uh, your favorite sort of example of like these kind of underrated publishers and the films that they produced? Oh, are we talking like what I what some of my favorites are that the people might not have latched onto, or what do I think of them trying to make films? You know, what the fuck ever. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's there are some definite gems out there and ones that a lot of people don't even realize are based on comic books. Um, like, first one that popped in is, like, Road to Perdition. Fuck yes. I mean, Definitely. that's such an amazing movie. Uh, and then as recent as, like, say, you know, Dread with Carl Urban. If the source material's good, then it can make for a great movie. The only problem is, because they're not Marvel or DC that a lot of times the budget on them is just so bad and they don't attract big names and, you know, just weak actors, bad sets, bad costuming. So a lot of them fall by the wayside, but there are definitely some shining examples. We definitely talk about one tonight. uh, And then we talk about another movie. Uh, Another movie's in here too. (laughs) Yep. uh, (laughs) For those of you who's your first time with Double Edge, Double Bill, um, we do a good and a bad pick that's the whole gimmick. We'll choose at the end of this very episode our topics for next week, so stay tuned for that. Um, but let's go ahead. Let's just get into our features. Uh, so we'll start off with our good feature, which is the original 1990 version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Our family grows. There is a new enemy. Freaks of nature. Together, we will punish these creatures. What the heck was that? Look like sort of a big title in a trench coat. Excellent! Cowabunga! Yeah! I love being a turtle! So yes, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, as I mentioned, came out in 1990, March 30th, 1990. Um, and is based off the characters that were created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. As I mentioned, it was a Mirage Studios originally, uh, was what the, the comic company that produced it. And from what I can know of, I mean, I'm not as versed on the comics of these characters, um, they were basically sort of like a parody of Frank Miller's era Daredevil, right? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, like 100%. <laughs> really, that's why, I mean, like you got the Foot Clan instead of the Hand. Right. You know, a Daredevil. Yeah, it was it was definitely, uh, they tried to draw uh, comparisons. Let's put it that way. I wouldn't call it a straight ripoff, but they definitely, well, it might be a straight ripoff <laughs> as far as even their origin story to where even to the point where, you know, Kevin Eastman and Laird even said that the little boy, that the, the man pushes out of the way and then the canister strikes him in the eyes or whatever is supposed to be Matt Murdock. Like, they're like, oh, our universes are connected. And, of course, Marvel's like, the fuck they are. (laughs) So, (laughs) But, yeah, they definitely, definitely aimed Mm -hmm. on Daredevil. Have you never read any of the original comics? No, I haven't. My relationship with the Ninja Turtles is interesting because, of course, obviously, after those comic books, it became the popular animated series from the late 80s to early 90s, and then these movies that would come out. Uh, Most of my relationship really was with the original movie, this one, and its sequels, and then also the toys. As a kid, I remember, I had got, like, a lot of hand-me-down second-generation Ninja Turtles toys. My favorite being, there was one where it was, I think, Michelangelo with a pizza box in front, and there was a little pizza you could put in, and he would shoot it out if you pushed a button on the shell. And oh, I sure. 
loving the fuck out of that. And it's weird where I didn't know this. That this production was apparently independent, mostly shot in North Carolina, and was declined by most of the major studios like Disney, Warner, all them, because uh, they were afraid it would kind of be like. Speaking of a previous episode we did, a previous topic, kind of like Masters of the Universe, where it was a popular toy line and animated series, but it could have also bombed, so New Line ended up just doing it. And um, I guess that makes sense from that specific time perspective. It could have easily just been a fad. Yet, of those sort of eras, cartoons and comics, Ninja Turtles has had such surprisingly lasting long life, like a tortoise. It keeps it's on still kicking. going. Yeah. I mean, it's still yeah. fucking going. The reboot just came out, the cartoon. But yeah, to get back to the source material, mm-hmm. they are incredibly dark, incredibly violent. There's nudity, profanity, blood, gore. They're actually really, really good too. And then it just turned into you know Uncle Phil a shredder. <laughs> you know, it just got ridiculous. Tonight <laughs> I dine on turtle soup. Right, that was <laughs> so good. These guys, I mean, talk about beating a horse to death. I cannot believe that they're already talking about rebooting the film franchise again. Well, before we go too far into that, Tori, what's your relationship with Ninja Turtles? Um, to to go back to my like when I was like a little kid, like going back, turn back time a little bit. Uh, it actually starts with ice cream. <laughs> Believe it. Those the best, Oh my god! Like anytime it would be like I'd be at my dad's like basketball tournaments in like the, the town where I'm from, New Bedford, Massachusetts. Ninja Turtle ice creams with the gummy fucking gumball eyes and shit. right, right. Yeah, exactly. My, my, my like one time, literally, like my brother had. You know, he's like five years old. He actually like takes a wad of cash out, runs out to the ice cream person and just slams it on the table, takes the ice cream and just runs back inside, leaving like a trail of dollar bills, by the way, just for these things. But beyond that, obviously, I fucking love the films when I was a kid. I remember why going to my uncle's house all the time. Me and my little brother, we would watch the films. We watched all three, um, like the second one with uh, Vanilla Ice and then the third one where they go back in time to, you know, feudal era Japan or, or whichever. And of course, there was like the cartoon that me and watched when we were kids uh, through the from the 80s, just through like Saturday morning reruns on like, you know, Nickelodeon or any other channel it was syndicated on. And of course, it led to them trying to do the live action series that was on Fox Kids. God, I forgot yeah. about this. <laughs> so, so the thing what they do with that is and it was like I liked it as a kid. Like I had no qualms. Like they even had one where they even had a female turtle named Venus, which yep, I yep. guess fans de Milo. Venus did not. Yeah, Venus de Milo. Yeah, that's a really yeah, corny ass name. But yeah, they would even have them do crossovers. Like there was a Power Rangers. I think it was either Turbo or in space. One of those right. two. At the, there was like a lot of exposure to like the Ninja Turtles like franchise when I was a kid. Um, it kind of seemingly died out in the um, the late nineties, early two thousands. But then it kind of came back again with what I think is probably the best version of the show, like the 2003 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show. Right, yeah. And I think it lasted for about five or six years. And, you know, 4Kids was an awful production company when it came to, like, dubbing certain animes and certain TV shows and how they Americanized the fuck out of them. But for some reason, they were able to handle this with a lot of care and actually go darker than what I would expect even the original 90s one to go to. Like, it obviously couldn't go as balls to the wall as the 90s comic but it didn't feel like it was talking down to his audience it felt like it was like it was a balance you know it was cool enough for kids but also it wasn't too kiddie for original fans to appreciate like they, they were taking the batman beyond approach right there and like you oh baxter stockman loses a limb every time he fails oh damn they're actually going that far 
you know, and then of course there's been like the massive reboots that have gone on since then, but I don't want to uh, go deeper into that. Right, right. There's, that was a series I was more familiar with because I'd watched a few reruns of like the older 80s one. And I thought like, this is fine. This is all right. It's a bit slow. It's a lot slower than you remember. Like most of those cartoons, they fill up so much time. <laughs> a lot of blinking. <laughs> a lot of blinking. <laughs> a lot of blinking. <laughs> yep. Um, but, but yeah, so to get back to the 90 movie. Um, this is a, directed by a Steve Barron, who actually got his start directing a lot of the influential music videos that started MTV. I found out he directed the Billy Jean music video, Money for Nothing, Take On Me. Like, oh, big... Oh my shit. god, I felt oh, that watching Vegas. this movie. That makes fucking sense, like, completely, because I definitely got that vibe. Like, that... Because it was 90s, so it was clear that 80s vibe was still alive and well, you know, because it had, like, a good year or two left of shelf life. Right, yeah, because it definitely has sort of, like, it's that last moment before New York lost its grit. Like, what, Rudy Giuliani comes in, like, six or seven years later and completely turns it into Disney-owned <laughs> Times Square mm-hmm. and shit like that. So, I mean, mainly, most of this is, as I mentioned, was shot in North Carolina on sets. They had a couple days where they shot um, in New York City. But the the big innovation that was done with this one was obviously the use of the turtle suits, which uh, was done by the Jim Henson Company. It's one of the last credits Jim Henson has on a movie in general, because he passed away, like, a couple months after this movie came out. And those are still really impressive. I mean, even with, like, the lip sync, obviously, is hit or miss. But it's hit or miss in the same way that, like, the Dinosaurs TV show was, where it's still kind of endearing and still very impressive for the time. I think they hold up great, actually. Uh, Yeah, of course, lip syncing, but lip syncing is always off when it goes puppet to... You know, live actor usually. It, just the range of movement that the actors got out of them too. It's crazy. No, they feel like the Ninja Turtles and look like the Ninja Turtles. It, it, when they got to like the sequels and they started getting like dots all over them and markings and stuff, then they started looking silly. But <laughs> I still think these look great. We got to make them look more like turtles than ninjas. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, the effects that pulled up the best for me that I was surprised by was the flashback stuff where you see the little turtles and little splinter. I think because they cascaded enough, like, darkness. I think I those... fucking love that. Yeah. It was, like, way better than it did. I was like, wait a minute. I don't remember I don't remember appreciating this. This still holds up. It doesn't feel, like, aged or anything. I mean, yeah, some of the voices sound silly and shit. But, man, like, this puppetry is amazing, which, obviously, the quality goes down later in, in the later movies. But here, it's... And of everything in this film, it's still, like, this holds up the most, the practical effects. By the third movie, it basically becomes like a Chuck E. Cheese show. Oh, my <laughs> with, God. With how bad the but I'll tell you, show. man, I'd rather have the Chuck E. Cheese show or even the Saban live-action show that we were talking about over than the giant fucking were-turtles that we got in the new ones. I will disagree respectfully with that. I don't hate those movies, but we'll get into that maybe a bit. (laughs) I won't go that far. (laughs) I will not go that far. That's also what works about this is whenever they kind of put them in sort of a darkened place, like especially when they're like out on the streets in New York at night, I think they look really great. Um, Especially the biggest surprise for me was when they have the suits, obviously don't have like the mouths because basically they would have three people operating this. There's a guy in the suit. There's a guy who's actually doing, like, the faces, like, off-screen, doing audio animatronic kind of stuff. And there's someone doing the voice. Um, I think what works especially well is when it's the ones without mouths, and they're actually doing pretty good fight choreography for those suits. I was really impressed by that, especially, like, there's a whole scene where um, Raphael has to go down to the subway and beat up some Foot Clan guys. That worked still really well. I was quite surprised by how, like, actually athletic a guy can be in that suit. 
Dude, I know they're spin kicking and cartwheeling, and I can't even do that in my normal fat man flesh suit, <laughs> let alone a, like a latex turtle suit. And the choreography in this, as far as the fight scenes, I mean, obviously they had to tone it down a little bit because they are working with a man in a turtle suit, but it's still pretty like fast paced and hard hitting. Like I, you never feel, at least I don't, like they're got on baby gloves, like they're sort of like you know, slowing or whatever, just to accommodate for the guy in the suit. It all felt like a fight. Like, I I think it's, I still think this is one of the best human in puppet suit acted films ever. I was wondering as far as like how hard it must have been to operate in the suits, because for some reason, when the scene that comes up where Raphael is carrying April away from the Foot Clan after the awkwardly filmed subway, I mean, that obviously, I mean, this is 1990. I'm not holding it against it. But when he's running, holding April, like you can hear him like, ah, ah, and I'm like. I can't tell if that's acting or not, honestly, because that must have been heavy as fuck to have to deal with. Right, right. I think, to be fair, that's, I think, a lighter version, because since they dubbed that over later, I'm sure on set the guy's like, fucking kill me. (laughs) 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 This is so terrible. (laughs) I lost 30 pounds. I lost 30 more pounds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like Ernie Reyes Jr., who would actually have a weird sidekick role in the second movie, was Raphael a lot in the suit doing a lot of the fight choreography stuff. And he would talk about how, like, you would basically lose, like, a pound in sweat, like, every day, which makes sense. Like, I could, that seems like a workout regimen of interest, like, walk around in a turtle suit. (laughs) Uh Why why not? I, I will say, I think what also works is that they take a bit of time to reveal them. Like, they don't immediately blow their wad with, like, the turtle showing up on screen. The opening sequence where they're kind of cascaded in shadow, you don't see them fight, it's a lot more obscured, and then they save it for right after the title comes up, they just pop out, and immediately they're just like, oh crap, they're here. <laughs> they're, they're the fucking turtles that just walk in. I'll say, my biggest issue with them is more on, like, a character level, which is weird to say, because these turtles were never, you know, the most complex characters, but... Each one of them had a distinctive personality, and I think they get most of them right. Because Leonardo, obviously, is the begrudging leader, has to, like, keep all the guys in into shape. Uh, Raphael is the loner, angsty one. Mikey is the lovable goofball. And I think those three, they get really right. And then, unfortunately, I think um, Donatello, who does machines per the Chuck Lorre theme, uh, theme song, he is supposed to be, like, the kind of nerdier one of the group. And I think in this movie, he just kind of becomes another Mikey. Like, that's the thing about the, the, the present day, like the recent ones that um, that Bay's production company was responsible for. They let that known from, like, the intro, like, from the first film and the second film. This one, it just felt like him and Mikey were just like, eh, we're both goofballs. That's what we're here for. Oh, Raphael and Leonardo are fighting again. Whoa. You know, like that sort of deal. Um, you didn't really get that tech aspect at all actually it was it was like hey i'm michelangelo but i'm wearing a purple headband instead <laughs> yeah, pretty much <laughs> yeah but i I'd, I'd argue though that also Corey feldman's voice is probably the most I- iconic i think his voice is perfect i just think yeah they dumbed down the character quite a bit i mean he's perfect for michelangelo though like, that's the thing, is he totally uh, fits yeah, more like the work. party yeah. dude aesthetic, yeah, for, as opposed to, I think it's more just, quite frankly, he's the most famous one, which we should give credit to uh, Brian Toshi, who is the voice of Leonardo, um, John Pius, who's actually in the suit and does the voice for Raphael, and then Robbie Rist is the guy who does uh, Michelangelo. 
Oh, and Robbie Rist is actually a respected voice actor in his own right, uh, especially when it comes to like a lot of anime dubs. He used to be a former child actor too. Um, he was he played cousin Oliver in the Brady Bunch. I don't, I don't know. But, oh, fuck yeah. me! Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the death of that show, basically. He was the Poochie. Is that what you guys are saying? Yeah, pretty kinda. He was kind of Poochie. <laughs> Josh Pius as Raphael annoyed me when I was a kid, and I still find it annoying. The 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 really really put on New York accent really kind of just where they come up with this stuff yeah hey come on <laughs> like okay why why is he like stereotypical Italian I don't understand what's going on here you know Raphael was never like my favorite of the turtles and I think it just sort of like made me hate him more I eat crumpets to understand cricket <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> As a kid, I remember him being my favorite just because he's like, oh man, he's the rebellious one. He's the right. like, he's the dark and brooding one. Exactly, just like oh like man, me right. at six years old. Exactly, <laughs> just like I understand his pain. <laughs> Um, and then as I've grown up, obviously it's way more Leonardo because like, fuck yeah, keep these guys together for love of yeah, God. Leonardo's a G, dude. And two, also we should give credit to. Um, I think they do a masterful job with Splinter as well, considering that most of the time he's just like half a puppet. I think they do such a great job with, like, making him feel just as real as those guys do. Which, I mean, in credit, it's uh, Kevin Clash, who was previously the voice of Elmo and Puppeteer, uh, the original one. Then things happened. Right. Yeah, <laughs> we'll leave oh, it boy, that. I really think that the Splinter stuff especially impressed me a lot more upon this rewatch, considering he has to interact with those turtles. And at the same time, they do a pretty good job of, while the turtles are silly... They at least make that sort of surrogate father-son relationship work between all of them. We were talking about Leonardo earlier being another Michelangelo. I think the thing that justifies that is the fact that him and Michelangelo have like great chemistry together in a comedic fashion, the way that Leonardo and Raphael have the great chemistry from a dramatic fashion. You know, when Raphael wakes up from his injuries, he's like, I'm so sorry, brother. Like, you know, that type of thing. You feel that, you know, it feels corny, obviously, because it's Saturday morning cartoonish. But you're watching the Ninja Turtles. You're supposed to get that vibe. So I I, I think like the relationships between the Turtles override any character deficiencies they may have. Yo, that shit when I was a kid straight up made me cry. Come on. (laughs) You know, damn puppets. And even like Splinter. When a splinter goes missing and they start crying and shit. I'm like, this is out of control. Damn you for making me feel. <laughs> You're making liquid sadness drip from my eyes. I don't like this. Right. We were also mentioning about the Foot Clan earlier. Um, I was like, no fucking way. And then I looked at the cast. I was like, that's a fucking young Sam Rockwell. Yep. Holy shit. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you are mentors and regulars. Like, Skeet Ulrich is in this. Scott Wolf is in this. There's right. a lot of, like, Young kid, well, Skeet, yeah, no. Well, I think I recognize Skeet Ulrich. Yeah. Yeah, you saw John. <laughs> this movie kind of did a bad job of trying to dissuade me from the Foot Clan as a kid. Because that whole little bunker room they have where it's like arcade games and the skate cigarettes park. Cigarettes and skate parks and food and, and Cigarettes. Yeah, as, as a kid, I'm instantly just like, I want to go to there. That's what, what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, ninja? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I get free Marlboros? What? But I will say this. The stuff with Danny really kind of bogs down the movie. Like, does anyone actually care about Danny in this movie? Is he, or is he just, you know, the kid from Dick Tracy where you're like, oh God. Oh God, that is the kid from Dick Tracy. No, 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 it's not. Okay. No, it's not. He, he looked either like that kid older or like the stunt double for Danny Cooksey. 
Right. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> you know, but I get why they would throw the kid in because it's got to be relatable for kids. But yeah, the thing is, kids can relate to, you know, the teenage mutant Ninja Turtles. That's what kids want to see. They don't want to see some fucking 14-year-old having an existential crisis on screen. Who gives a shit? Grow up. Get a job bussing tables. Yeah, especially all the scenes where it's him and his weirdly just completely non-committal father. Uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. April, you're fine. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, April, you're fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I think you stole $70 out of your purse. Oh, he's just a kid. What? <laughs> <laughs> what is going on here? Just, all that felt a little too much for me, but I will say, for me, the MVP is Elias Codius is Casey Jones. He is absolutely badass in this movie. He's perfect as, like, the blue-collar tough guy schlub. Right, where he looks like he could either be a roadie or a badass vigilante of the night. <laughs> like I he... love that you said roadie, because there is no way he's in the band. <laughs> right, exactly. He looks like he would just be carrying around the speakers, just like, awesome, guys. <laughs> like, weird saying with hair. Right. It's like when I see Elias Coteus, it's like it's like one day it's like, oh hey, De Niro. Oh no. And then one day it's like, oh, Christopher Malone. Hmm. Right. Which one are you? <laughs> <laughs> like no, he's, for... he's really good in this. The mask looks really cool. His hockey mask, even though he barely wears it. And I love that he goes toe to toe with all these ninjas just by like sheer masculinity. That's really all he's got. I just love how he beats a trained grandmaster who's, like, kicking his ass. He keeps getting back up. He's like, wait, I know what's his weakness. A golf club. <laughs> Two swings. <laughs> it's like, this is the whitest thing I've ever seen in my fucking life when it comes to, like, white protagonist versus martial artist. Trained martial artist. It might have been lighter got, like, brunch before. Like that, that would have been pretty white. Hey guys, let's get some mimosas. <laughs> you guys want some mimosas? And some locks and bagels? Yeah. But um No, I, I agree, but then again, I mean Tatsu was so silly anyways. <laughs> he, he was. His his offense consisted of very slow, hard pushing and back <laughs> bitch backhanded bitch slaps. He just pointed a fist at one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what is going on what, oh, that ain't gonna do shit when I was a kid when Shredder falls into the garbage truck and they hit the fucking lever I thought that was blood on the fucking pistons when it showed when I was a kid I was like well they killed him <laughs> like he's, he's dead now I get it but man I thought that was so brutally violent when I was a child my biggest issue honestly with the movie though is they do such a great job of building up Shredder I think it's sort of like a Darth Vader-esque villain for this movie and the way he goes out, I think, makes sense given the fact that it's like Splinter's like, oh, you will go out without honor. But also, he just trips him and he Shredder never gets to fight. No, no, you got it wrong. He uses nunchucks that instead of a chain have a thin piece of rope on the edge of a sh- very, very sharp spear and flips him with it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Not only, we, I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to argue logistics in a movie with a half rat puppet. Fight a, fight a ninja? <laughs> well, well, if, if nothing else, I think that would probably work better if you had maybe at least a scene of like the Ninja Turtles trying to fight Shredder and failing. Well, they did for like one attack each turtle. One turtle attack, he'd kick him, and then that, okay, the next one goes kick him, next one goes kick, next one goes kick, and then that's it. Didn't you kind of want to see the four turtles bond together and like take his ass down? 
Right, that's what you would want. That's what would be like right. somewhat satisfying. Even as a child, I thought that was kind of lame. Mm-hmm. It was almost my least favorite part of the whole movie. It's just that particular fucking buildup. Because um, I, I think they do such a great job of making Shredder genuinely menacing, especially when he's like giving that speech in front of all the kids. Where it's just like, "You will be my army, and tonight we will take down these freaks." Yeah, <laughs> dude. And the helmet looks cool. Yep, he's got the you know the blades and the on his cuffs. Like, he looks sweet. They did a good job. I mean, I don't know. His outfit was a little glittery, but whatever. Um, it's the 90s. Uh, but, yeah, they do nothing with him. Like, he just gives a couple, like, obviously not the actor's voice speeches. And then that's pretty much it. Then Shredder throws him off a roof. <laughs> like, just that's it. That's what Shredder gets. He gets chucked off a roof. Okay, well, that's fine. And then he becomes Kevin Nash. And yeah, yeah, there you go. See, exactly. Go, <laughs> right, right. ninja, go, oh, God. <laughs> Way more disappointing though in the second one where it's like, oh man, super shredder, he's giant, and he gets like fucking crushed by a boardwalk. What the, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> As a kid, that was supremely lame. Vanilla Ice, I was fine with. That was oh, bullshit. Yeah. I think it was more so about the turtles coming of age more so than it was about we have to defeat the shredder. Well, you know, that was just redemption for Splinter. Mm-hmm. Well, that too, that too. It was I forgot all about that actually. But what works is like I agree. They make the turtles feel authentic. And it's a lot more time just like them hanging out with everybody, including with Judith uh, Hogue, which you haven't mentioned as April O'Neil, who I think is they replaced her in the later movies, and I think with much lesser results because it just kind of made April more of like spunky teenager as opposed to I believe that Judith Hogue is like a desperate reporter. Yeah, I agree, hundred yeah. percent. She's not particularly super attractive, at least in my opinion. I don't know. She came off like a serious character, not eye candy. Let's put it that way. I thought she um, was fantastic, honestly. I, I, like, I do. I, them really... legs, bro. Not to sound like complete like like a pig, but uh, <laughs> I thought she was fantastic. I think, <laughs> honestly, I think I I felt I like this April Nail more than I've liked. I, I don't I don't remember the other ones necessarily besides Megan Fox and. You know, hey. Exactly what I was saying. I mean, she yeah. was just eye candy to be eye candy. Well, right. Megan Fox is more like alien, otherworldly, attractive. Whereas I think Judith Hogue has like a much more sort of like relatable, down to earth personality that I can get invested in. I just had the weird thing of watching her where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the mom from the fucking Halloween Town movies. <laughs> I completely oh, really? had forgotten about that. Uh, I, yeah, Sam, I forgot I all about that shit. Um, she works really well with the turtles and I like especially the whole thing where they're in that like safe house and they're just kind of chilling out and there's literally a point where Elias Coteus and Donatello the most you get of him actually doing machines is like Mm -hmm. him uh, him and Donatello are trying to fix the car and they manage to get it actually working felt just I realized this is like the Muppet movie they're just like hanging out and doing bullshit (laughs) and that's honestly I wish the movie was just more that almost like a Richard Linklater version of this movie of just the turtles hanging out with everybody more i think that works really well maybe not as much with some of the pop culture references that are sure, supremely sure. of the time especially like the the moment you talked about with like leonardo and raf it's like oh it's this big moment between these two brothers coming back together and it's like oh it's a kodak moment mm-hmm. the blossoming relationship between april and casey was believable those two looked like they would be into each other they're such polar opposites but i'm i I guess I'm talking on a base level. Those two look good together. Let's put it that way. They look like they would like really be into each other, have a one-night stand, and then awkwardly never 
talk to each other again. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. What do you think this one has that maybe some of the other movies that would follow didn't quite achieve? What do you think is the missing ingredient that made this one work more than any of the sequels or the other versions of the Turtles, in cinematic form at least? Less slapstick bullshit. Less of the, you know, it's pizza time, dudes! Because that's all the sequels became. It's kind of dark, this one. There's some really, like, interesting themes that they try to maybe explore in it. They don't obviously don't go too far because they know where their audience is, but it's more grounded. There's not other giant creatures or they're not traveling through time or none of that bullshit. I don't know, man. It just, it, this one feels fresh where they all felt like cash grabs to me after this one. As far as the original, this whole original trilogy goes... What I remember as a kid is I remember enjoying all three films. The first one's clearly like, you know, if there was a thing to say about the films being dark at all, the first one had the darkest edge to it, I guess, as I would I would say. The second one, I would say is more entertaining, honestly, but they kind of just focus on like the sillier aspects of it. And that's what kind of makes that one work. Um, and then, like it just it, it was pro- it just progressively went down in quality, obviously. But still don't think as well, much as I love this first film, it's not like it was the strongest adaptation of a of a source material in the first place. You know, you just it, the first one, you're just willing to forgive its flaws more than the other two. You know, because you're still having fun. You like the characters, you like the interactions, you like the sort of you know, even when you watch it now, you love the data charm of it. So you're willing to forgive that as opposed to the other two where give or take what you like out of them. You kind of hinted at you would argue that the Bay Turtles actually did a pretty good job of that as well, in your opinion. I think the Bay Turtles did an amazing job at making these just overall a fun experience, uh, I would say, especially with the the characters having a little more focus as far as how they were in the comic, I would say that the the, the 14th and the unfortunate um, unsuccessful sequel um, still did a good job of that, too. I'd argue that the sequel to the Michael Bay one definitely fell more in tone with the animated series. I think the first one was kind of all over the place where they were kind of trying to maybe ape this one, but also stick to the animated series. So the tone never felt right to me in the first one. I kind of agree with Tori that I think the, the Michael Bay turtles are the best of the sort of post this movie attempts at doing the turtle cinematically. I think the biggest trouble is the non-turtles characters are very hit or miss to be kind with just how like annoying or grating they can be. I think the the human characters are the worst parts of those movies. Um oh, sure. minus minus Gary Anthony Williams and Seamus in the second one who were fucking perfect together as um one of the two Bebop and Rocksteady. Yeah, they were fucking great together in that film. I would actually, I hate Seamus as a wrestler. I think he's one of the most bland performers to have ever performed character-wise. But anything I hated about him, he made me love that about him in the second uh, Ninja Turtles movie. And also, honestly, Um, I like Tyler Perry's Baxter Stockman. I would have wanted to see him become a fly monster. (laughs) That was actually fun. He was actually like, I was like, this is me enjoying Tyler Perry at a film. Did you guys not like, or even see the cgi one i Love just this. recently did actually what did After, you think honestly um it i saw it a couple days ago and it's mostly escaping me <laughs> honestly there are some i agree but there are some fun parts to it i thought the action in it was handled very well mm-hmm. but other than that yeah it's kind of an infinitely forgettable movie oh and the animation ages terribly 
It really fucking does. It, it yeah. really does. But the voice acting in it is actually pretty stellar. They get the turtles right off. And I, I wouldn't have minded seeing more sort of animated CG-like versions of these characters, maybe with a better budget. But, I think uh, I that thought... might be the way to go with this to continue forward. Well, because, I mean, they've done that where, like, there's the recent CG one I've seen a couple episodes of, and it wasn't the most recent one, it was the one before that. And I thought, like, they did a really good job of, like, sort of getting those characters right and also building a mythology with, like, the existing characters and all the stuff. That is sort of a way, if you want to keep going, just go full animated. I think it'll be fine. Get somebody, like, fuck, get, like, a Spider-Verse style thing 100%. with the turtles. That'd be dope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would say about that, that 2007 animated film. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, I would have told you it was the best uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles adaptation that was ever made. Like for the I big agree. screen, no, I yeah, would have told I, I would have told you ten years ago. Now I think it's still like it still ranks high, but I still I put it behind the Bay films just because again, unfortunately, the animation hasn't aged well. But in a way, I felt like it was even though I know it wasn't the same cast or anything, I kind of felt like that kind of went to a CGI version of like the O3 series again, where it was again, balancing its darkness with its, you know, reach to kids, which would be the core audience to see this film in the first place. Well, and also they're kind of trying to make it a quasi fourth movie in the uh, live action franchise. They kind of reference like a lot of the events from the first three Mm -hmm. movies, but but anyway, we're getting super off topic, so we should we have a whole other movie to talk about, guys. I know. Great. Yeah, we're getting we're getting lobbed in Turtle Mania here. We're getting stuck in Turtle Mania here. Let's do, so like... let's do a quick final thoughts then on the original 1990 Ninja Turtles. Tori, our guest first. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know what else really to add to it. It was um, you know it was a fun little uh, little throwback of a of a film. You know, acting. I'm not going to say anything was Academy Award caliber here, obviously, but. What I will say is that, you know, I wasn't bored. I had fun. The relationship between the turtles is something that you can feel. It doesn't feel fake whatsoever. Um, you know, you get just straight up Saturday morning cartoon vibes from every aspect of this film. You know, whether it's the choreography, the music, <laughs> you know, just just the just the overall package. You know, I, I can't say I'm, I'm dissatisfied as a grown ass man compared to when I was like five or six watching this. So thumbs up all that. Adam. Uh, I'm pretty much mimic everything Tori just said and just say that I also think as far as the formula for a good first origin story of your franchise, I think uh, there's a, this is a really good example to follow. Um, I think it's done very well. The, the, the origin is told, told very quickly, but you get it. Um, and then, then the movie just keeps going. It, it doesn't, really stop on any i think it's still a fun movie and as far as i said earlier as far as if you want to see actors in animatronic turtle suits kung fuing then you can't go wrong yeah i mean i i also like it still quite a bit it was one that was a favorite of mine as a kid and now it's lessened obviously but i think it's still like of the sort of versions of the ninja turtles i've seen it's my personal i think the best adaptation they still have done i think it gets the characters right and also has a bit more sort of gravity to the situation as much as you can for a kid's movie. Like, they, they go around New York, they say, damn, guys. Six-year-old me was like, oh man, this shit's real. They, they said, damn. <laughs> Fuck well, me, they said, damn. Raphael they, is hardcore. <laughs> you know, to, to add to what you said, be, real quick, because Raphael said, damn, in this movie, I thought it was okay to say, damn. Yep, same thing. <laughs> you know, like for time, sure. First time Bart said, damn, on Simpsons, or, you know, any of that, I'm like, Oh, I could say that too. 
<laughs> Anyways, go ahead. It's a great influence for children, as we can clearly see here. Um, but but yeah, they they have a, they do a good job of like keeping the stakes, you know, genuinely high for you know kids watching it. Um, and like the puppetry really works. Especially, I had so much more appreciation learning upon this watch that it was an independent production. It only cost fourteen million dollars for that. It is extremely impressive, and especially that. Interestingly, it was the highest-grossing independent film of all time at the time it came out, and wasn't beaten until Pulp Fiction came out just a few years later. And yeah, I, I gained a lot more respect for it knowing that and seeing that like, it is a solid production for such a stupid idea. And I think that's what makes the Turtles last is it's simple, stupid, but perfectly clear that like any kid can gravitate toward of any generation. Really, it's like they're turtles, they're teenagers, they're mutants, and they're ninjas. And their family. But speaking of someone uh, who you might want to be emancipated from their family, uh, let's talk about 1997's Spawn. From flesh to steel, from blood to blade, from man to spawn. You're playing that game. Then I'll play dirty. Now stay sharp. The night is young. <laughs> this summer, evil has a new enemy. Justice has a new weapon, and the world has a new hero. Spawn. So, Spawn uh, came out August 1st, 1997, um, as an adaptation of the Todd McFarlane Image Comics character, um, who was very popular in the 90s as sort of, like, Urtext example of, like, hashtag edgy dark twisted tm comics it was sort of the the brand that made todd mcfarlane as popular as he is now with his mcfarlane toys and all this other shit yeah i'm i'm, I'm todd mcfarlane this is fucking spawn he's got chains he's got guns he's dog brooding mysterious he's black that was a big deal <laughs> it really like was that, <laughs> it was a huge deal that spawn was a black character and that he was you know, there were other black characters in the book, you know, because it went to Image, you know, famously all the creators, the top guys at Marvel left and formed Image. So like Spawn paved the way and then there was like Shadowhawk, who was a black guy. There was a lot of multiracial characters. And unfortunately, I do think that that's kind of what they put their hat on and then didn't really care about the story too much. I don't quite agree because the problem is you have someone like the D.B. Sweeney character who in the comics and at least the, which I haven't read much of the comics, but I was telling these guys off mic before we started mm -hmm. that I did uh, watch the, at least the first season of the animated Spawn series, which came out around the same time on HBO, which I hadn't seen before. And that character is at least black there. And I believe is black in the comics. And yes, they purposefully went around that. And Tom McFarlane said that it was more because the studio didn't want it panned as a, black movie no I, I yes i'm talking about the comics in total i'm not talking about okay. this movie in particular right. I'm talking about the source material because my brother and i had every issue from number one to like number 217 i think damn of spawn and we also had all the action figures we had everything we were huge huge spawn fans to the point to where even though i as, as i'm sure everyone can guess i fucking hate this movie <laughs> I saw it three <laughs> times opening day. I went opening day? Wait, opening hold day. one more I time. Went three different groups of people opening day. 
Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna pause for a minute and ask Thomas, why the fuck did you pick Spawn? Well, interestingly with Spawn, one, I I, I think it's one of the bigger examples of sort of like the late nineties superhero trend. Uh, where you would have like some of these characters who I at least heard whispers. I remember not necessarily around the time the movie came out, but not too long after it was like on cable and all this other stuff. I saw it as a kid, and I remember being at least fascinated. It's like, oh, this is kind of darker. This is weirder. It was not weirdly too long after I started watching Ninja Turtles. I'm like, oh man, this is the hardcore shit though. It's Spawn. He's he's like from hell and all this other shit. And I also had at least one Spawn toy that was based on the movie. It's simultaneously the lamest and most interestingly weird toy they could have done. Where it's a playset of like the weird sort of fake out moment at the end of this movie, where the yep. Violator Demon is coming out of the fireplace, and that part's cool. But then Spawn's also like the action figure you get with that, and the, his accessories are like the fire poker. And the little thing you use to sweep around the fireplace. I can't believe I had an action figure that had a fire poker as an accessory. That's such a dumb fucking thing to have an accessory of. <laughs> right. It doesn't make any sense why a superhero would fire poker action. So I was aware more of Spawn as sort of a figure when I was a kid around that age. And then I watched the movie and it just didn't really phase me that much. I was just kind of like, eh. Went in one year out the other, and I just kind of forgot about it. And then over the years, I'd heard how many, like, top ten worst garbage comic movies list it was on, and I was thought, like, no, it's been, I think, about two decades since I've seen this movie. I was at least curious to see it again. And, um, I, I tend to be on the show the guy that kind of likes to say, like, now, Adam, we're dog on this movie, but what about this element, this thing? There's a bit well... of... Like, yeah. you know, I, I tend to be more of that guy. It's like, oh, I want to see the goodness about this. Um, sure. Spawn can die in a ditch. It is such a terrible piece of shit so fucking movie. Fucking <laughs> it's the worst. I hate oh. it so much. But pause on that. <laughs> um, Tori, what about your experience with Spawn as a character and then the movie? There used to be this store place called Sound and Music, and it was kind of like a precursor to what you see now if you still have one a Newbury Comics, where it's CDs, but games, and then there was like the figurines, like the crazy comic violent super, you know, stylistic figurines or whatever. And that's where I would see like the spawn shit. Just one of these times we were watching like the Stars Channel, just me and my brother, and we were watching the original film, and you know, we thought it was fucking cool. And, and for like, cause we're kids, I was like six when this came out, me and my brother were like eight or nine when we saw it finally. So we were like, Oh, this is a cool film. And we forgot about it. So I've, I always kind of had like a positive view of it because, you know, love Michael Jai white for, you know, obviously, you know, black dynamite shit like that. So saw it again, probably like in high school. And I was like, this is a fucking piece of shit of epic proportions this could have worked, honestly, if they had somebody who was competent. Things that work for it. The CGI that revolves around Spawn. Now, I'm going to say that for the fact that everything else looks like a fucking PS1 cutscene. A that, bad PS1 cutscene. That cut is scene. insulting, PS1 cutscenes. This is more like FMV Sega CD bullshit. At certain I, on, I honestly couldn't... Yeah, I mean, either way. Like, Any of the hell, hell sequences... Jesus Christ, dude. The fucking hell sequences, man. Like, everything that I saw was like, this is why people were shitting on fucking CGI in, like, the 90s, because we had this bullshit. I think, I, I'm gonna say it. Is there an earlier point? Because, like, between Jurassic Park and this, which several people who worked on Jurassic Park for with ILM did the special effects work for this, 
is there another sort of point where, like, we were really dogging on CG? Because I might say Spawn is the nexus point of everyone hating CG. Probably. Dude, honestly, the way that the CGI looked, it felt like two different fucking companies were working on this. It felt like one company that knew what the fuck they were doing were doing was doing Spawn CGI, which giving – I'm not trying to shower praise on this. To this day, I think the cape, I think his fucking suit, I think the practical effects of him looking like a burn victim, I think the practical effects of him wearing the suit are really fucking – I'll even say John Leguizamo's fucking like 100 to 200 pounds of fucking makeup still look good today. Just because of the work that was put into it, but fucking everything else, oh, everything Malibolgia. else, yeah, like oh. there wasn't a big budget on this, but like, how did you make Spawn shit look good? How did you make the cape look fucking great? How did you have all the transformation sequences look badass? But then, like the part where you should have a lot of your good work on doesn't look like shit. This was so disappointing. This movie, in every way, and then they give you little teases of things that are in the comics. Like Angela, she's a warrior angel, and she always goes after Spawn and all this stuff. Well, in the movie, there's a scene where they're at that banquet, and it clearly shows this woman. She's a redheaded woman in like a green and black dress, and they focus on her. She's got the earrings that look like the Spawn symbol and stuff, because that's what she has in the comics. And then they do nothing with it. Nothing. I was watching when they watched the animated series for a season. Sure. Like, that's the one that... She, she's the one who, like, goes up to her office like, Damn it, I always defeat the hell spawns. I'm the one who's yes. supposed to do this. Right, that's her. Okay, she's cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I do agree. Yeah, she's a... I did not realize that was her. And that yep. makes this movie somehow slightly worse. Exactly. And then Sam and Twitch, they're, <laughs> they're just... in it for a split second standing by an ambulance in this movie. I mean, clearly it's it's gotta be studio involvement because... The only reason I say this is Todd McFarlane, as money-hungry as he is, really cares about this character. Mm -hmm. So I think he kind of is like, yeah, make a movie of it. Fine. And then they just kind of like, yeah, all right, well, we're going to do what the hell we want to do with it. Obviously, because then the animated series comes out, and it's very faithful. Right, Um, he was more heavily involved in that as opposed to really pushed out of much of any conversations with this movie, which is just like, it's the epitome to me of like late, 90s bad superhero movie in terms of just like no one seems to get the idea of like what they think comic booky is is being very over the top but in a way where you're just kind of like screaming things or saying things in a gruff voice like this that's all Martin Sheen's doing that's all Michael Jai White is doing unfortunately I feel so bad for Michael Jai White because this is at a point where he was in like a bunch of like very directed video action movies and he thought okay my big break I'm gonna be able to go out there and be something awesome because if this had been a good movie and done well enough i could argue he could maybe be on the level of like a carl weathers for our generation and then this is such a big failure and everyone hates it and then he goes back to doing unfortunately mostly directed video action movies after this point and it's such a shame to the point where that's why when like a black dynamite comes over when he pops up in like the dark night you're like oh fuck it's michael j white what happened man I would argue he has a really good cult following, though, of people that just respect the fact that he is a shining bastion of talent, even in the fucking worst of projects that he's in. And also for the fact that he is a legitimate badass in every fucking way. I think all that was mainly born from Black Dynamite, though. He never really disappeared you know he, he this film could have destroyed a career and he could have just ended up doing fucking nothing i i'd argue that after this movie he was not seen in anything for years he might have done stunt work or choreography work 
But I'm talking about as far as like straight up acting. What like Undisputed Two? You know, <laughs> uh, never went down to Blood and Bone. Like he wasn't in really anything for years until he started hitting the direct to DVD sequels. Yeah, I mean, so this movie definitely kind of fucked him, and not only him, kind of everybody involved. Well, I mean, John Leguizamo kept getting work regardless of what is an incredibly heinous performance. I hate uh, everything about the fucking clown character. Nothing even fucking with, like, pops. It's the right. worst intersection of like, hey, let's get Beetlejuice and the genie from Aladdin and have them make a horrible mutant child. That's what this thing is. Yeah, he's, basically. He, he's trying energy-wise. Like, at, le- at least I can tell acting-wise he's giving a shit, but they gave him not a single fucking line that was even chuckle-worthy. Every single thing he's like, like even to a point where he even acknowledges that this sucks, where he's like, I'm a shit clown, deal with it. Like, or something, he says something to that effect. And it's, it's just like, wow, it's like even he, I, I feel like that was like made up on the fly because of how fucking stupid his dialogue was or even his character was in the first place. More, is he more of a threat in the comics? Clown, he's kind of like a serial killer. Yeah. Like, like that's AC. how they build him. As, yeah, basically. Basically. Although there is another character in the comics who is a serial killer. Thomas, I'm sure you remember the ice cream man from the animated series. Yes, trivia voiced by Ronnie Cox, which was yes. really creepy yes. and unsettling. Yeah, it's so unsettling. <laughs> but he's he's always kind of a threat in the comics because he can turn into Violator at a second's notice. He fucked scary. up with this, too. Violator looks like shit. Yeah. Violator in the comics, he's got his brothers. I think they're like the Pelagian brothers or something like that. I think there's five of them, mm-hmm. and all their names start with a V. And they're fucking crazy. Like the comics centered on them are some of the most entertaining, violent shit you could ever read because they're all morons. It's like uh, Casper's weird step cousins or whatever. His but uncles or whatever. But his yeah. uncles, yeah, yeah. But they're just violators. Like what? Uh-huh. Like especially watching the animated series. What I like about him in that is that one, he makes a couple jokes, but they're very sinister, and he still feels like there is a sort of a dark edge, especially when he's the violator. There's a point where there's a similar scene in this movie where he fights with Spawn, and in here it's a really lame action sequence, but in the the animated series, he initially tries to fight the violator, but the violator instantly just, like, pushes him away and all, all over the place. It's like, there's no point in fighting me. There's no way you're going to be able to defeat me. So why don't you get your shit together, get with the fucking program and do what you're supposed to fucking do. That's way more interesting than just like, oh, hey, I'm a fat little clown, then I turn into a big monster. I, uh, I am the one who should be leading the army. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to eat wax worms on this pizza, which John Leguizamo did, because he's so uh, disgusting, and that's such a funny character trait. It feels so much like it's trying too hard, because they pop in so much dialogue where they, they have to ADR so many times where just John Leguizamo was walking away, just like, hey, I make another fart joke. Well, you you don't need that. Just let him walk away for the love of God. Let him get off the screen. I feel the same way about him. I felt about, like I mentioned a couple episodes ago, the baby men from Nothing But Trouble. It's just, I hate looking at him. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to vomit again at him. I keep What's wanting it? to vomit. I want to vomit at Martin Sheen's <laughs> fucking die job. The moment that broke me completely while watching this movie again is the point where Clown is talking to Martin Sheen and says, Oh man, we gotta kickstart the apocalypse now. Immediate cut to his face. I was so oh my angry. God, I was so incredibly angry. <laughs> oh I my didn't god. Call that. 
Yeah, I don't recall that either. Dude, you know what this, you know what line broke me in the movie? Like there's like literally a scene where after the shootout in the fucking dining room happens, DB Sweeney's talking on the phone, and I don't know if I, if I made this out right, but it sounded fucking hilarious. He's like, "What's going on? There was a code breach, sir, at the army," and then <laughs> it's just the way it fucking sounded. Like it was like it was the most vague fucking like description ever. Like he sounds he sounds like Buster <laughs> Bluth, which is like, "I got these from army mother." <laughs> that's that's yeah, what they exactly. think the army is. <laughs> I got this, these tomatoes from grocery store. Like, shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but Adam, what line broke you? Well, let's talk about what broke everybody. What broke you, Adam? <laughs> I think it's kind of the whole thing. I'm going to put my cigarillos out in a scorpion pit. Like, what? Get the... Okay. And then the priest character. How fucking stupid. Dude, Wait. she got the smug, evil bitch look down, though. I can't yeah, hate on that. <laughs> she can't, tries to kick him in the nuts and then his belt buckle. Like, like, what the fuck is this about? Plus, Nicole Williamson is Cagliostro, which, by the way, is not the same character. He's a blend between two characters in the movie from the comics. There is Cagliostro, but there's also the Redeemer, who has the hand blade and all that shit. But, <sighs> Spaz... Well, the dog, like, you know, this horrible mutant zombie. Right, which that was disappointing because that is, he's a version of, like, a much more interesting character. Probably my favorite thing about that first season of the animated show is Spawn lives in this collective of homeless people. And Miko Hughes is a kidified version of sort of this, like, middle-aged guy who's been homeless, but is the one guy defending Spawn amongst, like, the gaggle of homeless people. are like, we should just fucking get rid of this guy. He's a menace to our little community. And he's like, guys, come on, he just seems lost and weird. And he's like, he obviously has something wrong with him, but I don't think we should kick him out because of that. That's such an interesting character to me, and I love the dynamic between him and Spawn in that show. And then here he's just like, I'm a kid! I'm a scrappy homeless boy! <laughs> What the fuck? Uh, oh, with the, with like the most short fuse abusive dad I've ever seen on fucking screen. Uh, you threw up because your bodily system couldn't handle fucking rotten food. I'm gonna beat you. <laughs> like, did you see Todd McFarlane's cameo? God no. Todd McFarlane's the guy who hand spawned the machine gun in the alley. And I read some fucking bullshit interview with him. The guy is always on fucking eleven. Yeah, no, I want to be like I gave Spawn the violence. What the fuck? <laughs> I will say one thing. This soundtrack was fucking lit when it came out. I, I mean, dude, it was crazy. Oh, the yeah. best techno artists mixed with the best, like, fucking rock artists. Like, Butthole Surfers and whoever the fuck. I yeah, don't you, got, you got Crystal Kobe. Method, Marilyn Manson, Corn, mm-hmm. and the Dust Brothers collaborating. The soundtrack actually went gold because of the amount of decent music for yeah, I mean, so look at this, like, Ronnie awesome. Size, DJ Greyboy, The Prodigy, Moby, like, a lot of fucking well-known electronic producers. You know, they, I would actually argue that the soundtrack was probably more fucking successful than the movie. R.I.P. to The Prodigy. <laughs> the fucking, just the crux of this thing. So, okay, Jason Wynn, Martin Sheen, knows that he's dealing with technically the devil and Satan and whatever. So, the devil, or a lieutenant of the devil, if you want to call it that, clown or whatever the fuck he is, goes up to him, we're going to rig a fancy device and hook it up to your heart. No one would dare kill you because it'll set off a bomb that will kill everyone. That sounds good. I like that. You don't smell a double cross like immediately. You're like, all right, cool. 
Well, especially this little fucking clown character comes in. And he's just like, "Hey, come on! I want, I want to collaborate. I want to make sure all this works. I want to help you out." You would immediately be suspect, obviously, at this point. Police or agents on the scene see this guy coming in and like, "Wait, who the fuck is this thing?" Oh, it's my friend Clown. Is right. that like, right. Why is the CEO talking to a human blueberry? Like <laughs> <laughs> the one moment I loved so much of this movie, right before the climax happens, when. Clown is doing some stupid bullshit. I think he's like, it's when his, he makes his head become a balloon on his hand or some bullshit. And oh then we cut to Martin Sheen, and he gives the face that summarizes my reaction to the movie completely. His yeah. eyes roll like, Ugh. I believe that was a real face. And they just caught him doing that, where he's like, fuck am I doing? They're just having the camera roll for coverage, and he's just doing that genuinely. It's like, yeah. Maybe. It's he a... wears a fucking tinfoil suit at one point in this movie. He does do that, yeah. What the f- Oh, and her gun shoots gel out of it? Like, this is the fucking dumbest movie. You want to get a scene that details how really fucking stupid this film is? The shootout at the dinner, or at the fucking ballroom, or whatever. The fact that for some reason, as Spawn is jumping, as he's firing the weapons- as he's flipping in slow motion, bullets yep. hitting nothing. You know how many people perf- you would have potentially killed right then? <laughs> like, you could have, like, killed yourself. Like, I wouldn't have shot my knees at all if I was doing this in real life. No, dude. <laughs> I'd argue that when he forms his cape into a sweet fucking hell crotch rocket, and yet it's still sus- susceptible to slippery roads. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, no, so bad, no. I mean, I I get it. I'm I'm very angry at myself. I think this is this is the first one in a while where I've genuinely just loathed every second watching. It. I this think is... Santa's play was the last one. Dude, yeah, they needed a bad product placement scene. This film just really needed. Like, I really wish they could have had something like, "Oh, I wish I had these brand tires or some shit, and I wouldn't have slipped on my crappy motorcycle monster." tell them you need to recharge your power. Have a coke. It's weird that of the two movies, the one that has that, we didn't mention this, but Ninja Turtles, the Gatorade. Domino's. No, Domino's. Domino. Oh, okay. Right, yeah, because you're in the middle of New York City, so of course you get Domino's pizza. That's the best pizza around. Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, we're talking about a good movie. Let me get back to the shitty movie. Um, yeah, this, go back to the shitty movie. This, this is, I will say, this came out in 1997, I would watch Batman and Robin twice in a row before I would ever watch this movie again. Oh. Ba- I don't know, man. Batman and Robin... Statement. It's a strong take, but the thing is, what Batman Robin has is that it has a more consistent style. It has these the silly, over the top operatic nature that at least like some of these people are having fun. It's garbage, but at least I can sense that like some people here are having a fun time. Versus with Spawn, it is trying so hard to be overly edgy and it feels so chopped to shit. We didn't talk about how many times they do that fucking cigarette burn transition. And how annoying it is every time it happens. Oh, God, it's constant. It is trying so hard, objectively, to be unpleasant. I don't think Batman Robin's trying to do that. This movie is aggressively no, trying true. to like be unpleasant because it's like, no, that's what's edgy. That's what's now. That's what's 1997. And no, that's that's not entertaining. That's not enjoyable on any level. I was groaning the way Adam tends to do when we do bad movies throughout this <laughs> whole movie. Oh. I was so aggressively annoyed. I forgot. God, just how fucking awful this is. And especially, like, Tori was kind of praising some of the CG here. 
I don't think any of it works. I think no, I, I all agree. Of, I think, I think none of it works. I don't know, man. Like for some reason, I, like I said, I still think it felt like two different companies. I felt like the suit well, was well done. This is more Stockholm syndrome, I think, Tori. You're, you've been captive by this movie, and you tried to find something. I appreciate the instinct, but the thing is, you're actually right about the fact that the movie went over budget. And it was most of it was done by ILM, the visual effects stuff. But in order to yeah. save time on the movie, they did farm out the hell sequences to a completely different company. Oh, 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 and what's interesting is it, the different company in question is uh, John Grower's Santa Barbara Studios, who around the same time also did the lovely visual effects for everyone's favorite horror sequel, An American Werewolf in Paris. Oh, for fuck's sake, can you tell? Yep. Oh my god. Uh, dude, the CGI was shit in American Werewolf in Paris. And it is here too, Tori. I literally gave this film like a 3 out of 10 just because the Smon oh, suit looked god cool. Damn it. You Honestly. Really you know. a positive person. Well, you, you know what, Tori? Why don't you go into your final thoughts then? The most positive here with your 3 out of 10. Go. <laughs> Finalize the film, your the film is a fucking piece of shit. You don't like any of the characters. You don't like any motivation. You don't know what the fucking plot is. The the super villains are even stupid, comparable to that of like a Saturday morning cartoon, and like not even like a good Saturday morning cartoon, like one that's complete shit. Like I don't know something that lasted like a season, like Cyber Six or something like that. Something that was on Fox for like six months and you completely forgot about it. This was a failure in every which way. And the one compliment I'm giving is just because like, you know, I could see one thing and that one thing was it. And after that, nothing else fucking matters. You know, dude, even the credits give you a fucking anxiety attack. With the stupid ass like fire moving shit in the background mm-hmm. with like this credits with the font that tries to make it look like seven. But, you know, you're not watching seven. You're watching fucking Spawn. Yeah, you know, you know, you're watching one of the worst top five worst comic book adaptations of all time. It, it, it's it's blown opportunity. It almost ruined Michael Jai White's career. It, the fact that Nico Williamson decided, oh, I'm going to go out like this. You know, like, you know, like for fuck's sake, the guy who directed this film made like Garfield gets real. Like, you know, like we're not talking about somebody who was even talented behind the fucking camera. Honestly, this is so bad that even though a lot of people are very skeptical on how Todd McFarlane's going to fucking make his film, it can't be worse than this. Honestly, if it ever gets made. We should mention the fact that he, as Todd McFarlane was attempting through Blumhouse to mm-hmm. write and direct a new adaptation of Spawn, which he's been threatening to do for years. A um, horror centric version. Right, a much more horror-centric version, which I could see that working. Well, no, I know it's yeah. Jamie Foxx and then and Jeremy, Jeremy Renner's Renner Twitch. They're shooting for a noir sort of hardcore detective story where Spawn is almost like a ghost in it. So it's not going to be very Spawn-centric yeah, at it's all. it's going to be a fucking background character. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Which could work. Honestly, it could work. I have zero faith, though, in Todd McFarlane as a director. Who would you think would be a more interesting director for that? For something like that, Ben Affleck, I think would work, like watching The Town. I think he I wants think to stay so away from superheroes, though, for the time being. Well, I guess. I the rest of his fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> watching this film, and even though this week the, the hot-button topic is shitting on Zack Snyder for his incredibly shitty ideas of what he wanted to do with the DCU, more than what he's already done with the DCU, I would have rather had fucking had him direct with his Zack stupid Snyder's fucking... aesthetic would work for a Spawn movie. Exactly, because Spawn itself... Am I going out of reach if I say that Spawn as a comic book is probably just shallow, uh, edgy bullshit? 
would yes, like at the like end of the day. Okay, yeah, 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 it's it's about that was looking like eleven cool. or twelve, yeah. and I thought it was the coolest shit ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you need somebody who is equally as shallow, but also cares. Because the thing what I say about Zack Snyder is that he's Michael Bay with a heart of gold. He still gives a fuck. He's just terrible at establishing how much he gives a fuck. Right. He could have done something with this. Well, well, you know what, Tori? You're living in a fucking dream world. Uh, but anyway, Adam, go ahead and go with your final thoughts. This movie's atrocious. It's a piece of shit. It broke my heart. <laughs> Malabolgia, for some reason, has the same voice as Dr. Claw. Yeah, it's Frank Wilker <laughs> literally doing his Dr. Claw voice. Yeah, it's literally yeah. just Dr. Claw. This is not the worst one we've done for the podcast, in my opinion. Definitely in the top five. Yeah, with a bullet, it's it's so much that. I mean, it's not the worst, I agree. But anyway, this is complete trash. I think it's definitely one of the worst, I think, of these big screen, big budget comic book adaptations. Because it just gets everything wrong, and it goes way more for the most shallow possible aesthetic for something. I agree, that isn't that, you know, developed in the first place. Like, when I say I like that, you know, the first season of that Spawn animated show... I think it's interesting as an artifact. I think it's got pretty good animation, and especially the voice acting alone. Keith fucking David has spawned. Mm-hmm. Adds so much more depth to such a thin character. Just, Wanda! Wanda. Wanda. <laughs> Every time he says Wanda, it's so great. Uh, that's not sacred, necessarily. But with this, it just gets all of the wrong impulses, and does everything wrong and just shoves it at the screen none of it sticks but it doesn't care the movie doesn't care that none of it sticks and just keeps assaulting you with it that's that's what i just feel like it is just barraging you with whatever trick bullshit they could throw and none of it works i none of it is good i i fucking hate this movie (laughs) and you know todd mcfarlane whatever he might do i don't necessarily think it'll be good I don't know if it'll be nearly as bad as this, though. I mean, there's potential. Only up from here. You're working with the bottom barrel of expectations. You see, but it's also Blumhouse, so... Uh... I mean, they're hit or miss, but when they hit, they hit very well. And But when they miss, they miss really bad. So, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But uh, that's the end of our discussion on Spawn and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and our two non-DC, non-Marvel comic book adaptations. Uh, We got some feedback to read before we get to our final picking at the end here. I'm just going to go through. We asked all of you via the Double H Double Bill Facebook and Twitter feed, which is at DEDBpod, about your favorite and not-so-favorite, as it were, um, non-DC and Marvel comic book adaptations. And uh, we got some first friends of the show who include Shaquille Lambert, who says, Good, 30 Days of Night, Old Boy, the Korean version, Sin City, and Adventures of Tintin, The Bad, uh, Ghost in the Shell, the ScarJo one, uh, Dragon Ball Evolution, Attack on Titan, and most recently, Polar. Uh, Dan Chambo says, My favorite is Judge Dredd, the Carl Urban version. Jonathan Habner-McHale says, uh, The Peanuts movie and Alita Battle Angel are my favorite films adapted from more unconventional types of comics. The best examples of good comic book movies with terrible sequels are Men in Black slash Men in Black 2 and Kingsman The Secret Service slash Kingsman The Golden Circle. Carol Holden says, uh, Some great ones, The Mask, Scott Pilgrim, Dread, TMNT 1 and 2, Hellboy, Men in Black. Terrible ones, TMNT 3, Spawn, Judge Dread, R.I.P.D., and Sin City. Tyler Thompson says, Spawn is still a favorite of mine. It's definitely a product of its time, so it isn't what it could be. That's why I'm hyped to see a modern version with better CGI and 
all-around better everything. Brian Kane says, uh, Dread was the greatest action film of the new millennium until Fury Road came along. Battle Royale is a terrific Verhoeven-style movie that lampoons Japan's ludicrous expectations for its youth. Barbed Wire is all the worst things from 90s comic book movies rolled into one. And Spawn is by no means a great movie, but it has some brilliant points. Case in point, the demonic version of The Violator. James Rodriguez says, With the kinetic Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Edgar Wright achieved something I never thought would be possible, turning Michael Cera into a credible action hero. I also find some nostalgia for The Crow, less so for The Crow Wicked Prayer. Unfortunately, Chris Evans can't save a production as bland and as amateurish as The Losers. Matt Kozlowski says, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 is bad, Mystery Men is good, The Phantom is dumb fun. And then The Great Tragic Clown at Thankful React 69 says, Good Ghost World American Splendor. That's nicer on, like, fucking Spawn than I ever fucking was. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> than I ever could be. I'm going to start right off the bat with Shaq. Uh, I do like 30 Days a Night. I think it's flawed. It's cool. It's not great. But Old Boy, I just, I can't get behind Old Boy. Either version. Oh, Wow. Well, no, it's not the movie itself. I think it's filmed beautifully, acted beautifully. I just find it the the, the main thing just so disgusting. Like it just bums me out, man. I I just can't. It's a personal thing. It's nothing to do with the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Well, it is itself, but I find it. <laughs> I, I would argue that it, co- it accomplished its job because of how. No, it def- no, it definitely yeah. did. It fucked it fucked me up. Yeah, and I think it was supposed to do. Uh, yeah. and I, I'll never forget it. Sin City, I think, is probably what the most faithful comic to screen mm-hmm. adaptation. And dude, I fucking love Tintin. Tintin is super underrated. I completely agree. I, I would so I would argue the most underrated of like the 2010s. Just how yeah, just, like amazingly fun and an experience it is. Like the yeah. animation still holds up. It's the uh, best example of how to use like motion capture and CG. I think in I modern so. times. It's part of the reason I'm not so mad at Crystal Skull because I would argue that's the best Indiana Jones movie we've seen in a while. Is Tintin? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ghost in the Shell is ultimately forgettable. I want to go and put in the bad. It exists. It doesn't offend me. Mm. Dragon Ball, on the other hand, offends me. <laughs> I think it's terrible. I didn't bother with Attack on Titan, and I haven't seen Polar yet. Ghost in the Shell, I would argue it's mostly forgettable, and then it does a turn that I think is genuinely abrasively offensive, considering that they have Scarlett Johansson playing this character, who in her past was a Japanese woman, died, and then chose to become Scarlett Johansson. That's... Oh, you know what? I never even thought of that. That is kind of... Yep, that's pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> I just, I never fucking want to see this Ghost in a Shell movie. Like, I don't even want to waste my fucking time. And that's, I rarely say that about movies. Normally, I'm a little more forgiving. Like, oh, I can't have an opinion until I see it. But with this, I'm like, there's not one fucking person who has had anything positive to say about it. So I was like, ah, you know what? Nah. In terms of good CGI, I will definitely agree with uh, Jonathan with the recent Alita Battle Angel. I really dug Alita. I do. I'm not. I'm not familiar with that uh, manga, but I really dug that. Especially, I saw it in the Dolby 3D, which it's it's like a two hour theme park ride. <laughs> that was so uh, awesome. I fucking really dug Alita. I thought the character design and the world design was fucking exceptional. I really, really enjoyed the movie to the point to where I'm not a big manga fan or anime fan, but it made me want to read the source material. I enjoyed it that much. I enjoyed it more than I did Captain Marvel. 
I mean, I'd say so to a certain degree, too. But I, I also would say Ali is slightly hobbled by any of the stuff with Mahashala Ali or Jennifer Connelly is kind of shitty. And then especially how they how they try and tease the sequel is really dumb with their surprise cameo. I'm not going to spoil it, but that yeah, stuff no, is really I, dumb. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, though. That totally worked because they show his fucking face quite a bit in the movie. And I you hear his voice and I never once thought it was him. Well, he pops on screen. I'm like, is that like Doc Brown's illegitimate son that he disowned? <laughs> like, that's what yeah. he fucking looks like. I won't spoil who it is, but you're like, oh, really? <laughs> um, but, you know, one that people don't usually acknowledge is like a comic book movie that I'm glad is mentioned among some of these people is uh, Men in Black. Completely unlike the source material, though. Yeah, like the mask. It's basically that. Where, yeah, they still look the same, they still, you know... The very the... basic premise is the same, but yeah, everything else is like... Right, oh. but everything else is completely different. Not as dark, yeah. <laughs> and I, we've talked about this before, Thomas, and I actually agree with you, Men in Black. One of the best blockbuster movies of the last 20 years, and easily one of Will Smith's best. I would argue the best, and perhaps the only really good one. Two's a piece of shit, but I would argue for three. I, I had oh, fun like, seeing three in theaters. But yeah. was was three good because of Will Smith, or was the story Jermaine was Smith. three good because of Josh Brolin as young Tommy Lee Jones? I would say everything worked, from Jermaine Clement as a villain to Will Smith to Josh Brolin. That was fucking great, too. So I, I, And also I, packed an emotional punch at the end. I, I give it that, because two didn't have that. I would say even one didn't really have that emotional I, punch. I have, I have so many issues with that ending of Men in Black 3. They totally, like, see through PO Anakin Skywalker, the whole franchise, in a really yeah, stupid I way. Yeah, I, I really don't like... I mean, I, I would say it's better than two. It's just, I think it's a really uneven movie. The part of that movie I really dig that no one even talks about, it was probably the first time I'd ever seen this very great actor and recognized who he was. Michael Stuhlbarg is the alien who can, like, kind of reach into memories. Oh, he was so good. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I like that too. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. That part of the movie is genuinely, that makes it worth seeing the movie, honestly. He's so good in that part. The first Kingsman's great. Well, maybe not great, but the first Kingsman's fun. Mm-hmm. The sequel, I mean, I wouldn't say it's terrible, but it's, it is what it is. I mean, I can, I watched it and I was entertained enough. Glad to see, uh, some like Peanuts movie I thought was actually pretty cute. I was so surprised that actually yeah, managed to work. Yeah. Um, and Scott Pilgrim, obviously, I think that one is still pretty interesting. You know, I like Ghost World, American Splendor, and we've already kind of addressed Dread. You know, it was my other good pick. I think Dread's one of the best action movies to come out in the last, I don't got what, 10 years? I mean, it's basically the raid with the superhero, but it's still good. But we want to thank everybody for the feedback. We appreciate all of that. And we also want to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music that we use in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Emily Scarda for our art. She accepts commissions at fiverr2rs.com slash eescarda. And, of course, we want to thank Mr. Tori DePina for returning as our guest here. Tori, anything to plug? Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, I just plug my Twitter account. Uh, follow me at uh, TCVB491, uh, at TCVB491 on Twitter, or Tori Knows Beats. I think that's the one I have right now. Um, but yeah, yeah, follow me if you want. Uh, but again, yeah, thanks for having me on. We also uh, want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. Um, that's where you can find us, and that's where we put our little uh, feelers for our topics. Um, right now, you could be commenting on our little questionnaire for next week's topic, which we'll be picking the options soon enough. I would also recommend you follow me at my own individual account at Not the Who's Tommy. Um, that's where I'll post my general musings, and also I write reviews and post them on uh, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com. 
And uh, you can find Adam, I believe, somewhere in the distance, in the trash heaps, trying to put his life together and screaming out, Wanda. Or Spaz. <laughs> his favorite, his one and only <laughs> Spaz. Um, and make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or any other podcast thing you use. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on the YouTubes, even, that the kids love doing so much. We're on pretty much anywhere you can find uh, podcasts. And please make sure to rate, review, and all of that for us, because that gets us more notice. That gets us out there. Get the word out. Please. Please, for God's sakes. Please. <laughs> yes, uh, thank you, the dozens of you that listen. There are dozens of us. Dozens! <laughs> Dozens. Uh, but before we skedaddle out of here, it's time to do our picking. Yes, it's the cliffhanger ending before we get to next week. Um, and because a little show is coming back for its final season, Game of Thrones, we are going to return to a topic we did a little while ago. Uh, we are returning to the world of fantasy films. Game of what now? Is that popular? Um, yeah, it's uh, about a bunch of people playing uh, like musical chairs, but with thrones. In like Ring Around the Rosie. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. Anyway, um, it is time for our uh, picking. We're basically at the end of every show. Um, Adam and I have two movies that we don't know what the other has picked, but we've assigned numbers between one and ten for both, and uh, we know they're generally around the topic of fantasy films. I have the two good ones this time, and as and Adam has the two bad ones because last time it was the reverse. So of course that's a big reason why we would want to reprise the topic is so we can switch off on that quality and get a chance to have an opposite perspective from our own picks. Um, and usually we would pick a number between one and ten for each of us, and that would seal our fates for the next episode. But when we have a guest, Tori is handed the gun by the bum Todd McFarlane <laughs> to pick <laughs> between our two films. So Tori, number two, one and ten for my two good choices. All right, I got the fucking gun. I'm gonna aim it. I'm gonna shoot it. Okay, uh, seven. All right, at number eight, I uh, had one that arguably fantasy film, but as a child, it almost was a horror film, and is one of the weirdest technical sequels to ever exist. I am talking about 1985's Return to Oz. Oh God damn it! Really? Ah, oh, fuck me. Not a fan. Uh, you know, once and it fucked with. Me. So I mean, that'll be interesting to revisit. Visiting some childhood trauma, for sure. Um, and then at number one, I had uh, just a bit earlier, 1984's The NeverEnding Story. Oh, man. That's a movie. <laughs> it, it is indeed a motion picture, yes. Yeah, we're excited for the Oz in that one. So, and, okay. and now, Tori, for Adam's two bad picks. All right, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay lucky here. I'm going to go with seven again. At number nine, I had the Bridget Nielsen Red Sonia. This is the Conan-esque movie I haven't seen. I've seen the two Conan movies, but I have not seen this one. Okay, with Arnold in a supporting role, yes. Yeah, well, like a cameo, basically. (laughs) And number one, I had In the Name of the King, a Dungeon Siege Shale. Can I reenact that? Because you guys need to shit on some Uwe Ball. Yeah, no, I don't think we do, because I put that in as like, do I really want to subject myself to this? (laughs) Do do we want to kick a horse carcass that at this point is a skeleton? Right, basically. <laughs> this, this might be our oddest double feature, Thomas. Didn't we just have an episode that was the prestige and nothing but trouble on him? Yeah, it's true. But both of those are <laughs> magic. <laughs> they're, they're, they're both magical films. Um, but on that note, uh, we got to escape back into the sewers, dudes, and party down with some pizza from Domino's. Oh, bodacious. Long live the teach. Tubular. 
We're going to talk about fucking Spawn. Spawn. Fucking, it's fucking hardcore. He's fucking. He's going to be, he's got fucking guns. He's got all that. It's all, it's going to be fucking edgy. It's all that shit. It's going to be the best film ever made. I, Mike McFarlane. Not, not Todd McFarlane? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I fucked up there. Todd McFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm his brother, Mike. I don't do any of the drawing. I, I just sit around. I'm a fucking tracer. 